This isn't scary, I insisted. Aaron wasn't exactly quivering with fear, but he was unusually alert. I could tell he was rattled. We live in Anderson, South Carolina. For those of you familiar with ghost lore, Anderson is the home of the Crybaby Bridge. Built to connect Anderson with Charleston, the original wooden bridge dates back to the 1800s, but was replaced in 1952 by an iron one. In more recent years, it's been closed to traffic and a modern cement bridge erected nearby. The old iron structure still stands, however. The real Crybaby Bridge. The sun had almost set as we walked across. The railing was a flaky brown from decades of oxidation. Aaron stopped first as we reached the center. I'm not actually scared, but it still feels creepy out here. That's not the same as being scared. I mean, I'm here, right? I laughed and removed my backpack. Yeah, true that. The tranquil sound of the river below proved an odd juxtaposition to the legends surrounding this place. Living in Anderson, we've all heard the tale. Many years ago, a young widow was driving a carriage down what is now High Shoals Road. Having just lost her husband, she was distressed and in no condition to be driving. Somehow, the young woman and her baby were ejected from the carriage and into the river. Regaining consciousness, the mother frantically searched for her child, but to no avail. Moved to despair, she gave up and let herself be swept away by the rushing water. As the sun tucked itself behind the horizon, chill of night set in. You bring the baby powder? Aaron inquired with a note of apprehension in his voice. According to the legend, if you spread baby powder on the ground at your feet, odds are the ghost of a lost baby will visit and leave tiny handprints in the powder. Got it right here, I replied as I withdrew two small bottles from my bag. I tossed one to him and we sprinkled generously all around. You know, when we leave, we should definitely make fake baby handprints in the powder to freak out whoever comes by next. Aaron let out a reserved chuckle. His nerves seemed too focused on making it through the night to think of much else. Finished with the powder, we plopped down in the midst of our handiwork. A slight breeze gently skimmed the bridge's wobbly surface and dashed thin clouds of the stuff into the air. As the night wore on, we made small talk. Aaron relaxed a bit, but never stopped glancing over his shoulder every few minutes. Luckily, the sounds of the river drowned out the noises that would have otherwise put us on edge had this been a graveyard or an abandoned building. I guess that's it then, he said well past midnight, more relieved than annoyed. Something would have happened by now. I agreed and stood up, stretching my arms. Grab your stuff and let's head on. We started back toward the car. We'd parked on the roadside about 30 yards away. I was about to laugh at all the baby powder on the back of Aaron's jeans when I heard a sound that chilled me to my core. Do you hear that? I whispered. I knew he had, even before he nodded. He'd gone rigid, stopped dead in his tracks. From beneath us came the piercing wail of a baby. We turned our heads toward the side of the bridge, not daring to move any closer. I froze. Shaking myself out of it, I looked forward again. My heart stopped. Standing in the middle of the road was a woman, dressed in solid white, her hair and clothes dripping wet. She opened her mouth and spoke. Despite being at least twenty yards away, her words reached us as if she were whispering in our ears. Have you seen my baby? My mind raced. I'm a logical person. There's always an explanation for things like this. Surely we were the victims of some prank. Maybe even Aaron was in on it. 
He certainly would have been justified given everything I've put him through. With a slight smirk, I walked purposely toward the woman in white, my strength renewed. She looked at me with increasing curiosity. Have you... have you seen my baby? I heard Aaron's footsteps behind me. He was following my lead. I smiled triumphantly. I'd already won. Whoever was playing the woman was doing a bad job. Her face betrayed her. Her brow furrowed in obvious worry. She knew the game was up. But as I drew closer, a look of sudden comprehension washed over her. She glared at the side rails, drawn by the sound of the crying child. My baby! Her shriek made my skull vibrate. Before I had a chance to recover, she dashed for the side of the bridge with unnatural speed. She looked back at me with a cold, questioning gaze and threw herself into the river. My short-lived confidence was shattered. My mind spun out of control. This wasn't a prank. As we sprinted for the car, it dawned on me that we hadn't heard a splash. We jumped in and slammed the doors. I looked at Aaron, hoping for a sign he'd somehow arranged all this and was pleased with himself at having pulled one over on me. But his eyes were wet with tears. He was on the verge of hyperventilating. I half expected the ignition to fail, but fortunately the car cranked on as usual and we sped away. We'd barely driven a hundred feet when I looked in my rearview mirror and saw her standing in the middle of the road, the lady in white. To this day, I can still hear her. Have you seen my baby? Thank you, Jesse, for that terrifying submission. I'm Jamie Markey. And I am a <clears throat> deeply rattled Michael Tatum. Deeply rattled? Deeply rattled. How deep? Pretty deep. Ooh. Deep as the river they were talking about. Deep. That's, I mean, presumably <laughs> people drown in it, so I imagine it has to be at least deeper than six feet. Okay. Though technically you can drown in, like, a foot of water. Te a teaspoon, te really. Te <laughs> and this is Ghoul Intention. <laughs> Today's episode is titled, appropriately enough, There She Stands As If Alive which comes from the poem My Last Duchess by Robert Browning. Um, the poem itself is about a guy contemplating an oil portrait by, um, well, we don't know, but we assume it's thought by scholars to be the portrait of uh, Lucrezia de' Medici. Uh, for more information, you can check out the blog I'll write eventually. Right. You can find that at ghoulintentions.com. And, uh, yeah, Michael... Supposedly, it's going to write you a blog about that. I'm yeah. kidding. He's going to write it. <laughs> it takes time to write about literature and stuff. Right. Right. Wait, when you say write, do you mean write R-I-G-H-T or write R-I-T-E? Like you're telling me, write, get off your ass and write. Or is it a little bit of both? You tell me. You're the one who knows everything. I have a guilty conscience. <laughs> <laughs> so this story uh, is, we got another bitch in white. Bitch is a white man. Bitch is a white. Ghosts definitely prefer white. It's, it's, which is a bold choice when you think about it. It's so hard to keep clean. <laughs> it is. It with really ghostly is. blood. And, but you know, <laughs> maybe they have a ghostly tide. <laughs> it gets out all the spots. And yet still smells scary. Know. You know what? The first thing I thought about when uh, reading the story, which is a really good story, by the way, is mm -hmm. a couple of local legends here uh, in Texas. Well, Texas and Mexico. Uh, which is practically local for us. Um, <laughs> but there are two things that come up. We have our own, there's a crossroads um, 
I cannot for the life of me think where it is. There's actually several places that say they have it. There's a screaming bridge in Arlington where mm-hmm. supposedly uh, some people fell, like drove off when the road was out and they didn't know they drove off into the river and drowned. And now supposedly if you go there um, and put your car in neutral, unseen hands will push it uh, out of the way. Of, well, the same of, thing um, is in San Antonio. But the the rumor right. is that the the... A, kid, a school bus was hit by a train and all of the n- names on, on the streets of that area are like little kids' names, which you assume to be little but Cindy's grow up. Um, <laughs> like Cindy and Joey and Johnny and Betsy mm, and all those kinds mm. of like names. Um, and if you park your car and put it in neutral and you put baby like baby powder on the back, it's the same baby powder thing, mm-hmm. um, and you put it in neutral that you will roll over like you'll be pushed over yeah it's like it's a train tracks it's across the train tracks and it's um it's supposedly uphill yes i've done that before to that at that at that location location. did it work (laughs) we were pushed halfway across the tracks and i was insulted by it the ghosts were like you know what you're a grown-ass woman you should be able to take it (laughs) i think they were just like we don't like you We're just going to let you get hit. See, I would think that the, if the ghosts don't like you, they would push you to safety because they don't want you to join them. Oh, that's They're a like, good please, point. Please don't. Please maybe don't join us. Like, so maybe they just like me So maybe they want the ghosts that like you yeah. that you should I be I will tell of. you, though, that I feel as though it is not uphill. I feel like it's downhill. Just just very slightly. Just yeah. enough to get you going. But the thing is, that you, you're supposed to see fingerprint or handprints, yeah. children's handprints on the back of your shit. car. There was none of that shit. None of it. And, it's supposed to, it, but you, and your car has to be in neutral, and, it's, and it pushes you over the train track. So it's, it's not a bridge, per se. It's just a crossroads. The Screaming Bridge in Arlington, where I live for a number of years, is, uh, is a bridge over a creek or over a river. And, and the story is that uh, um, some teenagers were driving through, and they didn't know the road was out, and their car went over, and it killed two or three of the people in in the car and now they apparently like you can still hear them screaming or whatever and if you drive down that road toward where the bridge used to be um either your car will stop or or someone will appear and tell you to go the other way like ghosts that are kind of there to warn you but it also reminds me of the story that jesse sent us also reminds me of the the urban legend well not urban legend because it's actually much older than that uh of la llorona from mm-hmm. Mexico, the woman in I'm white. I'm so glad you knew how to pronounce it because I couldn't think of it. And I was like, the. Yeah, That's how I was. La Llorona, which literally <laughs> translates to the weeping woman. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, and she's supposed to be in white. And the, there's, a, there's a long history of, of her story, but apparently it was a woman named Maria in Mexico who married um, kind of above her station. And her husband, after fathering a pair of twins on her, got sick of being a family man and just disappeared. And then she found him, or she saw him later with another woman, and in in very um, Medea-like anger, uh, threw the children into a river. And then now her ghost is supposed to haunt uh, waterways and lakes, looking for the children, uh, her own children, that she supposedly drowned. And her weeping is a big part of her legend, hence her name, but it's supposed to portend very bad things. If right, you, if yeah, you hear her crying, you, you should definitely go the opposite direction. Similar to the legend of the Banshee in, in Irish folklore, right. where her if you hear the Banshee wailing, it usually portends that someone in your family is going to die, if not you. So, yeah. So it's interesting how often uh, the weeping woman or weeping or children kind of figure into these various urban legends or these various stories. Um, it's 
it's creepy. It's well, and then to have it backed up by such a, a vivid experience, not just yeah. hearing it, but you're seeing it, you're making eye contact with it. You're that's a full like on, a... like all five senses were engaged yes. in that experience. It seemed, yes. um, which is really terrifying. I think I've never had something like that happen. I've been to certain, I've been down some, you know, I've visited some haunted roads in mm -hmm. my time and and you know i think we saw lights once and and it was like oh cool but nothing that dramatic it's always there's always in stories like this you know when you hear urban legends about the weeping woman or a bridge that's haunted there always seems to be more legend about it than truth so it's unusual and very impressive that someone has a, a story to go with it that's recent and vivid um isn't it interesting too that bridges figure so largely in ghost lore mm -hmm. uh, I think it comes partially from the fact that just the language of bridges is something that we've used for a very long time to kind of get our heads around death. I mean, when we speak of death, we say things like, oh, they passed away, uh, or they crossed Crossover. over, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and death is often conceived of as a kind of river, you know, in ancient cultures. Oh, well, I mean, you have to, the river sticks, right? You gotta... The river sticks, you know, to pay, pay the ferryman. Mm -hmm. So uh, it seemed, and, and in fairy tales, you know, bridges are often haunted by monsters trolls you know or, or some something you have to sort of pay a some kind of toll to in order to cross I just wonder you know back in the day like what bridge hurt you people who came up with all these stories <laughs> did they just crumble all the time could you just never trust it like what was it like was that did it begin as an excuse like the reason that this bridge failed or the reason these people didn't survive this bridge is because they didn't pay the troll or because there was a ghost there or because there was a reason when really it was just shoddy craftsmanship still happens i mean bridges still collapse all the time oh, yeah you know oh, yeah. infrastructure is not what it you know i mean it's not designed to last forever you know the <laughs> the point pleasant bridge collapse in the 60s oh, yeah. surrounding the mothman thing it was you thought that it's thought by many people that to uh, the mothman sightings and all the weirdness that kind of attended that year and a half of of things happening at point pleasant were kind of you know, eventually pointed to the fact that that bridge was going to collapse and kill a bunch of people tragically yeah. on, uh, I believe, the day before Christmas or the week before. I could be wrong about that. I don't have the information right in front of me, but it was, I remember the image uh, uh, in reading a book about it by John Keel um, of the image of like presence and stuff being found in the river because so many people had gifts in their cars. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. Bridges often represent like passages to other worlds. And so it seems like a, a, a very obvious place for ghosts to be right. uh, also in in um you know common folklore it's it, we've discussed this before if you're being chased by a ghost crossing a bridge is a good way to keep them from following you because apparently mm -hmm. ghosts can't cross running water but they can jump off a bridge apparently like the ghost in the story yeah which gosh i can't imagine even if if it was a joke if it wasn't real some hooker just jumped over <laughs> The bridge uh, some hooker very nicely dressed um in yeah. all white you know that's that's those are nice clothes that is not some common. commitment that's commitment yeah. but that's a mother's love isn't it i mean a mom you know Whew. well a good mom right <laughs> not all moms are good moms but well, we hope they are but yeah a good mom i mean i was if i was a mom i would imagine that i wouldn't want to leave this world if i thought my children were still here 
Yeah. That's kind of another, and we'll get into that with other stories today, because today's theme is kind of all about moms. It is. Yeah. It is. It leads Do us you, to our next yeah. story. Well, before you begin it, may I have a sip of our customary Moscow mule? Please do. Please join me in <laughs> Except we're not having a Moscow mule today. We're having a Kentucky mule. I mean, where it's bourbon. Yes. Yeah. Everything else but vodka. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> All right. This story was submitted by Jacqueline. I was five years old, and it was in the middle of December. I lived in a small area of New Jersey called Dumont. It was a great place to live at the time because all the kids knew each other and kept themselves entertained with kickball or baseball games. Then there was me. I would always be off on my own playing make-believe. On that day, I think I was playing super spy, running around outside, hiding in snow piles, and just being a kid, when something in my neighbor's window caught my attention. I can't tell you what it was, but at the time, I thought it was the reflection of a cloud in the sky, which made me laugh. But then the thing moved closer to the window, turned into sort of a blurry person, raised its hand and waved at me. Even as a kid, I was kind of freaked out, but I instinctively waved back before hearing my mom yell for me to come inside. As I ran home, I looked back at my neighbor's window but the person was gone. No big deal, I thought, until later that night. After everyone had fallen asleep, I was in bed when I heard my name being called. I tried to ignore it, but someone kept saying my name over and over. Eventually, I slowly opened my eyes and saw what looked like a blurry version of my mom. Same height, same haircut, and even the same nightgown, except she was blurry. I figured it was because it was dark, plus I was still half asleep. As I sat up in bed and looked at my mom, she said my name again and made a motion that said to follow her. When I stood up, I suddenly felt like there was a giant weight on my chest which made it really hard to breathe. But my mom was calling for me and asking me to follow her. So I did, albeit slowly. After leaving my room, I saw mom at the stairs still gesturing to me as she descended them, so I followed. The front door of the house was at the foot of the stairs, and sure enough, when I got there, it was open with my mom standing outside waving at me. I started to step out the door when that heavy feeling on my chest got worse. It was like I could hear voices yelling and screaming to go back inside and get back into bed. But I didn't listen. Mom was in the street now, asking me to come to her, and I headed her way. Once I made it to the curb, my mom reached out her arm to me. I was about to take her hand when I felt a hard pull from behind me and someone shouted, No! I was yanked back into a pair of arms as a speeding car flew right past my face. I stared in shock at my neighbor who was out of breath and holding me very tight. When I looked back into the street, my mom was gone. My neighbor turned me towards him to make sure I was okay and asked me why I was out there. I told him everything. I'd never seen so much emotion from him before. He was angry but also seemed scared and shocked as I told him my story. 
By this point, my mom and dad were at the front door, and my neighbor told my parents he just found me looking for something. I wasn't sure why he lied, but before walking back to his front porch, he whispered to me, It won't hurt you anymore. I was just looking for a friend. I ain't need friends like that, is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of takes us in the opposite direction. There's, mm -hmm. there's like, you know, um, the mom that's looking for her kids and the mom that's like, you'll do. <laughs> <laughs> right? The mom that's not a mom. The mom that's not, yeah, that mm -hmm. looks like, oh, how, that's so insidious to have a, to have a ghost or whatever it was imitating a trusted loved one uh, to try yeah. to lure someone to their death. To their death. It's a terrible, right. it's a horrible thing to think of. Because, I mean, you know, someone decided to dress up as, you know, if something decided to dress up as you and say, hey, Tatum, you should do this. I'd be like, okay, cool. Right. And, and you know, know our relationship, know your name, mm. know what I looked like, what I wore, like down to the same nightgown. All just to lure you. Just to lure you. To lure you to your death. Because they were, I mean, I mean, presumably because they're lonely and just want the neighbor said a friend but man ooh, mm -hmm. how terrifying mm -hmm. how terrifying can you imagine i mean also from the neighbor's perspective why was the neighbor out there what had happened to the neighbor to get the the neighbor out there yeah there's so many what questions. experiences do they have that let them know what exactly this thing is and that it just yeah. wanted a friend yeah was there something about what night it, of the year it was that the neighbor knew to be kind of alert because this this entity you know usually was active on that day or or something or had i could hear something see something what, what was the neighbor's story i god i'd love to revisit this and, and like have the the submitter go back and i talk to the neighbor and be like mm -hmm. what was that what's the story what's the story what do you know was it some was it the, the ghost of someone you knew yeah. was this just a, a ghost that sort of came with the place that you've acclimated they to? don't and, live there anymore they that's don't live, the only yeah, thing yeah, yeah. Uh, still you should go back yeah just go back and let's like, go back just if you can find just make sure you know where your real mom is and i wonder too if later a conversation came up uh, uh between them and the mom saying or the parents saying what really happened if that conversation ever happened yeah because as a kid you would think like you know it would come up like what were you doing in the street last night and, and you know the response would be like well, what were you doing in the street last night right where did that conversation go but i don't know it could be you know, kids are kids are actually a lot smarter than we give them credit yeah, I for feel like and this... so it could be like the you know the neighbor saying no clearly it wasn't your mom it was just looking for a friend like but that's terrifying yeah there's something about children being drawn away from safety at the mm -hmm. behest of something supernatural which really bothers me right uh, well that's why if you watch a movie or something and the child dies pretty early on you know you are in for a trip because yeah. it's sacred right children are yeah. sacred they're yeah. supposed to be safe and if they pull out that stop if they like, pull out they anything goes. yeah anything and you're not safe anymore right that's terrifying to me and it's i was just i was just it makes me think of the whole pied piper of hamlin mm -hmm. legend which mm -hmm. is an old german legend everyone knows it and uh but it, uh, you know, this whole idea of an entire village of children disappearing, uh, or all the children in a village disappearing because, you know, some rat catcher didn't get his due. Um, it's interesting. And there, there's uh, folklorists believe that it's kind of a take um, of back in that time in medieval Germany. Um, there were a lot of, uh, the, a lot of colonies that needed people. And so the 
ruling class would just kind of go to working class villages and be like, yo, give us your kids. Yeah. Uh, because we need someone to till the land and help make this colony work, you know, for king and country. And, and so oftentimes the parents or guardians would get paid good money for surrendering their kids to whoever these people were that would come and take them. Uh, they were called uh, they were called locators, and they would come and and take the children or able-bodied adults too, whoever could afford to come, and just take them away, wrench them away from their lives, and put them in in some new place to try to you know claim that area for the crown. And it was weird. So um, folklorists tend to think that the Pied Piper story was kind of their kind of coping mechanism for like dealing with the fact that we sold our kids right. into basically indentured servitude because it you know hey i feel like that's one like less a egg great to way to make sure the next generation get, gets its shit together right so like you know what happened to the kids before you our other four children that we had they weren't we sold them to the king so you best do right it goes back to the la Llorona myth right. because she's she's supposed to take children as well yeah. as surrogates because she can't find her own and so it, she's a popular sort of a technique a parenting technique that you know you'll be like hey you behave you know eat your food or go to bed and or did you, you, know, were you did la your parents ever tell you that it wasn't uh yeah la Llorona is supposed to be like something always tell it was the uh the alley rats oh the alley ooh, ooh, right. nice little throwback to the Pied Piper thing. Yeah, my mom would always say, you better be careful or the alley rats are going to come get you. Or you don't want to go out at night because the alley rats will get you or you better behave or the alley rats will come take you away. There was, no, there was nothing like that. My parents, I mean, Santa Claus was a big deal and so it was kind of a more slightly more positive version of it. Like, you know, do this or Santa Claus won't give you gifts. I sincerely believed in Santa Claus, but I also got disabused of that notion when I was very young because I have an older brother who decided it was time for right. me to know. So I think I was about six or seven when I got told. I think after that, my parents relied on more practical things to kind of keep me in line, which I needed a lot of because I was a bit of a wild child. And a bit? A, a bit of a, a, a wild of, child? A bit of a wild child. He was ne'er do well. I was, yeah. I spoke, <laughs> I used language like that even when I was in my tweens. But uh, for my parents, it was different. It was real world terrors. Yeah. So like like going out on Halloween trick-or-treating, like don't go to houses you don't know because, you know, there's this big scare that some crazy person will give you a razor blade apple or poison candy. Right. Um, Which always seemed funny to me because like, what am I going to eat an apple? No. Right. <laughs> That's true. Like, That's not am I going to choose an apple over this, my this chocolate bar? No. With the alley rats is... <laughs> In my childlike brain, I didn't know what an alley rat was, so it made me think of alley cats. That's my thought. It was like, does she mean alley cats? I mean, they can get big, alley rats. Yeah, it was alley rats was her thing, but I thought of alley cats. And logically, I knew I was supposed to be afraid of it, but spiritually, I kind of wanted that to happen. Because <laughs> I was like, cats, an alley full of cats? How is that a bad thing? It's got to be a real fear for a parent. I think surely for, for a good parent, their worst fear is losing their child um, in any way. Mm -hmm. um, but it's got to be, but on the same token, every child, especially as they kind of grow into their own, begin to kind of court fantasies of running away. Even if you, you know, have a relatively quiet home life, I think every child dreams of the equivalent of joining the circus, you know? And so, like, there comes a point where, like, parents... I think have to cope with their inability to 
counterbalance the the sort of lure of the outside world and have right. to deal with like oh but you're going to go out and you're going to get you know you're going to get into trouble and you're going to talk to strangers and you shouldn't so how to i mean it's got i cannot imagine what a parent has to go through mm. so i think stories like this um are as much a reflection of parents trying to cope with oh my god how do i keep my child from being lured away by something that is so enticing um, because I'm no answer to that. Right. So it's, you know, it's, I don't know. I'm, but I'm then really... also, you know, cause we're, we're experiencing it from the parents perspective, right? Having your child taken away, pulled away, but this story is told from the child's perspective. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, to have then again, these things that we can rationalize and why parents would tell these stories and why to yet again, be shown to be true mm -hmm. from the experience of a child. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, you know, you, we, we know what inspires, you know, it could be that the Pied Piper was inspired by them selling their kids, or there could, at some point, maybe there was a guy that stole all the kids. Like, what is the truth oh, yeah. within yeah. these old stories, yeah. if later they are supported by experience? Yeah. That's and certainly, I mean, think about it. If you were living in, you know, in medieval Germany, and some dude came and said, hey, I, I work for the crown, and I'm here to take your kid. Um, here's a, you know, here's, you know, some money you had those parents had to think you know even if they thought on some level well my child will get a better life because they'll get out of here and they'll you know they'll they'll make money somewhere else they'll grow up they'll have their own life but on the there's got to be but this is you know how did you keep in touch with them you know you didn't there was no writing there's no I mean, people couldn't afford half of them weren't literate then to be able to write or could afford someone to transpose a letter you for can't them. insta so that was it that was the last you ever saw of that kid and for the rest of your life you would be worried did i actually give my kid to someone that was legit or did I just give my kid to some crazy person who was masquerading as an official who just like used this to kidnap and maybe murder children? Right. Um, it's from a parent's perspective, it's innocence is kind of what you want to preserve about your child because that's your job as a parent for a time until, you know, it comes time to, to help them grow up and cope with the world outside of the home. Well, but, that being said, children in the you know 1600s had, were totally different they had grown up quite a bit more yeah than than children they had days. to grow up much they had to quicker. they were already they, the only reason the king could say bring these people to work on the farm is because they knew what they were doing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah 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 so it was a different experience but and i think the context, love is still there there it, the the feeling of permanence of that and that expectation for that love to be there forever and that child to be there forever was probably not as great because you know I think people then had to be more pragmatic about it. Right. Especially if it was, if you had five or six children, and my God, that was such a burden on the household because mm -hmm. how you feed that many people. So, like, someone comes along and says, hey, I can take your child away and they'll no longer be your concern. Sure, part of you might be heartbroken, but the other part of you is probably relieved. Mm -hmm. And that's got to be difficult to, to cope with those conflicting the guilt emotions. And, you know? Yeah. Just like the innocence I'm we try so to preserve. I'm so glad we don't have to deal with it. <laughs> well, the innocence we try to preserve in children is also what makes the children so vulnerable to the things we're trying to protect them from. Mm -hmm. You know, because this, this, the girl in the story that we, you just read was just innocently going along with with mom poor little Jacqueline you know and if Jacqueline had been a little older and a little more cynical as happens you know they might have been like mom what the fuck you do in the street get out you know the right. <laughs> you know but a child just goes well mom you must be know you must know what you're doing so I'm gonna follow you mm -hmm. it's terrifying to think of speaking of terrifying that yeah. was my do you like that transition it's a good transition it's, I usually use it's speaking a good, of it's a good 
bridge. A bridge. Ooh, I see what you did there. Ah, You're taking it back around. I'm going to have one more sip of my Kentucky Slurp. Beer. Slurp it. Slurp, slurp. Wait, we oh didn't cheers. Oh, we didn't cheers. Cheers. Slurp. Cheers. So gross. It's not ramen. <laughs> it's not. It's not ramen. If it were ramen, it would be far louder. <laughs> and this story I find particularly fascinating. Uh, fascinating. <laughs> That's because we're using whiskey today. <laughs> <laughs> Take that out, or people are going to start, you know, messaging us that I have a problem. Um, I know they would message you and not me because it's expected from me. No, you just hold it together better. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I hold it to yeah. better together to better. See, <laughs> I hold it together until I'm blackout, and then I can still hold it together. <laughs> Read your story. Of all the strange things to befall me in the house where I grew up, the following stands out for sheer terror. Starting around age 12, I was left to fend for myself most afternoons. On the day in question, bored and vaguely hungry, I ambled into the kitchen in search of something to bridge the gap between lunch and dinner. To reach the fridge, one had to pass our dreaded basement door. The dark, windowless room held terrors for us all. Not a soul in the house denied feeling that someone or something was lurking below, watching with ill intent. We rarely ventured down and, as a result, tended to keep the door locked. As I walked by that afternoon, I noted the bolt was disengaged, the door slightly ajar. Assuming my father had somehow come home without making a sound, and being the token idiot kid I was, I pushed the door further open and called out. The stairs turn a corner so that from the kitchen one can't see all the way down. Just then, something in the basement, I couldn't tell what, fell and crashed knocked over as if by accident. Perhaps the dog had gotten in and was making mischief, I thought. Warily descending, however, I suddenly heard the dog bark from out back. Next came the footsteps. Someone was climbing heavily up the stairs. I called out again. They stopped, as if caught in the act, unsure of what to do next. All at once, the sinking certainty struck me that something I did not want to see was about to skulk around the corner. Hey, brat, shouted a familiar voice from below. Can you come and help me with the laundry? Apparently my mother was at the washing machine sorting our weekly allotment of dirty clothes. Without responding, I bolted back up the steps and slammed the basement door, my fingers trembling as I re-engaged the deadbolt. My mother, you see, had died five months earlier. And though the voice was unmistakably hers, the deep, rasping chuckle I heard while running for all I was worth back toward the living room was not. I don't like it. That's I don't an, like it at all. It's another thing, pretending to be mom. Yeah. Thank it's you. Just, that was Vladimir. Thank you, thank Vladimir. Thank you, Vladimir. For that that was terrifying. I'm glad you did not go down Ooh. to that basement. Because chances are you would not have been around to submit that story. Man, basements are terrifying. I think we've discussed this already. They're so scary. What is it about basements that are so terrifying, do you think? I mean, I agree They're with you. They're dark and muted. They're dark and... <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes... I mean, basements... We don't have a lot of basements here in Texas because the soil doesn't quite... It, it's not the right soil to build a basement in easily, so it's not common. It'll fill with water. 
excessively if we build them, which is a problem. So we get a lot of tornado shelters down here. Yeah. Um, I grew up in Oklahoma and it was really hard in Oklahoma because it was clay. So mm. they don't build a lot of basements because you're digging into red clay. Yeah. Uh, the mud is red in Oklahoma. If you've never been there, it's really annoying. Gets everywhere. <laughs> but uh, there's just, it just is, it gets very, very damp and, and it'll flood, so it's just not worth it. We have attics here. We don't have basements. Yeah, attics are big. And thing. so f attics are terrifying as well, equally terrifying. Maybe it's because it's you don't go there as often. You don't go to a basement. You don't go to an attic as often. That's where you put the things that you forget about until you need them later. That's true. Like ghosts. Well, in basements I get because there's usually no windows in a basement, or if there are, there's those little slit windows that let in very little light. And mm -hmm. so it's just dark. It's they're hard to light, and there's something about there's something about being in a room where you cannot tell what time of day it is. That right, is and there's usually only one entrance and only one exit, right? Right. You right. can you can't get you can't get out the windows of an attic or of a basement mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. normally. Mm -hmm. If you do, it's a struggle. And you know, there's only one way in, one way out, which is always scary. Is is. Every house, I think, has, especially when you're a kid, every house has corners or closets, basements or attics that are terrifying to you because they're not commonly used. Right. And so it's it's as though we have some instinctive fear of what goes on in those places where we right. aren't, you know, what's going on in the room that's, um, that's just right above me or right yeah. below me. Or... If, if, if that space isn't occupied by the living then maybe the assumption is it's occupied by the opposite, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Maybe that's what that fear comes from. It's just a lack of energy of people who are living being in that space a lot. Do you know where the term parlor comes from? I do, but tell the people. So it comes from, it's <laughs> common up north and in colder climates uh, across the world, but in the United States, usually places like Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, it was common in... Uh, up until very recently actually to if someone died in the household before, uh, during winter or before spring uh, the ground was far too hard with frost to dig a grave and so and cremation was not popular especially among Protestants uh, living up north at the time uh, and Catholics certainly not so uh, you would just keep the dead in your home mm -hmm. uh, and so there was a front room usually built with a, a pair or a triplet of windows that kind of were uh, kind of formed bay a bit windows, of a, a bay sometimes. windows they're called sometimes they form like a little little half octagon it's a very common feature on front rooms or parlors and they are distinct from the living room and if you have a grandparents with a house like this they'll tell you, you know that's the den or the parlor or the front room they're all kind of synonymous but not the living room there's a difference the den is kind of a front room it's where you receive guests that wait you know, in the old days, if you lived in a big mansion and you had servants, that was where people waited while the servant brought you, you know, announced your presence yeah. to, to the house. It's usually the, the, the fancy house. sitting room. Yeah, it's basically a, it's a waiting room. Mm -hmm. But in, in common, in, in, um, it's commonly also the place where dead bodies are kept uh, until the ground thaws enough for them to be buried. And so it is where it's distinct from the living room because it is not the living generally don't go in there. Mm -hmm. So it's disused. Um, for the most part, except for very temporarily by people that are visiting and kept waiting uh, so their presence can be announced or for the dead who may be in there for months. I you don't know. like that either. Yeah, but that's that's a very common feature. That's where that design comes from uh, and that is where the term comes from. Well, that's why the windows that's, that's... were shaped like that so those quaint windows that mm -hmm. we all love were shaped like that so 
people who came to the house could view the body without actually going inside. Yeah, because they were there. And that's uh, also why flowers are very common. Uh, feature in funerals is because the fl the fragrance of flowers helps offset the fragrance of decay. And if you have a dead body in your house, this is long before the advent of air conditioning, so that it was like, well, that's, you know, grandpa's in the other room, uh, rotten away. It's disgusting, but like you needed a lot of flowers. So it was customary for neighbors and friends of the family to help you deal with the realities of having to keep this dead body until the ground was thaw enough to bury mm -hmm. them. And so they would donate flowers to help offset the stench, to help perfume the room where the dead were. Isn't that morbid? It is. It is. So next time you go into a fancy parlor, you can look around and be like, this is for dead people and really freak everyone else around you out. That would be great. That's why we call them funeral parlors still, because they're thought it's, it's a place where like it became a, a business in the late 1800s for people to be like, oh, I can take my dead somewhere else and put them on display there rather than keeping them in my house. And, and it was a very expensive thing to do at first, so it wasn't a very common thing. But as it became a bigger business and more affordable, then people could start right. like yeah but it was very common um my my mother remembers relatives of hers that told her stories of oh yeah yeah we had you know my father's body it was in the kitchen or in the parlor for right. however many months we are telling stories that kind of have something to do with them mothers and i know that you have told story about your mother but don't you have one that has to do with a funeral yes yes so i my mother is uh, a genealogist it's been her passion all her life she was a teacher by trade but she's she used that basically to get the summer months off so she could spend summers what we fondly called grave hopping because <laughs> back before <laughs> back before um you know genealogy.com and all these places you can go to look up Ancestry.com. Ancestry.com. Ancestry uh, Ancestry.com. Uh, before the advent of, of uh, the internet, where it was easy to can engage with people and you know, talk with family that you've never met, uh, my mother traveled all over the United States and in Europe uh, uh, pretty a lot, a lot to f figure out our family history. And she's traced us back quite a ways. Well, she has a huge filing cabinet in her closet way in the back and she keeps like all these records in there and one not long after my grandmother passed away i was about 17 i think she showed me a secret file she has had for years um containing photographs polaroid photographs of every family member whose funeral she has attended and they are pictures of the person in their casket were those taken at the funeral uh, at the viewing at the viewing so yeah. people are in viewing. private like so people like she would go in she would ask permission of the, the, whoever was the closest next to and then can. someone would hear yeah. and then as she shook it well it was either that or she'd take a picture and then go to like process it and have like people at the processing center look at her very strangely you know so now she, in she my mind to take it privately i hear shake it like a polaroid picture and I and just you think of my see, mother taking pictures of dead people. But like shaking it with the dance, but also weeping. <laughs> That's what's in my head right now. Well, and and, so and I, I do like that. And my mother <laughs> asked me, she was like, and I, I, she told me this, she showed me these pictures. And, it, you know, we've, we have a rather large family. I mean, uh, that my mother knows everyone. How many pictures were there? Famous. There was dozens. Um, she's been to a lot of funerals. And so I was like, oh my God, why on earth? And in her defense, she said, she kind of told me two things. One, it was very customary for people to get pictures of the deceased, especially in, uh, again, going back to like the days of, you know, uh, keeping the dead at home for a while until you could, um, you know, bury them because the ground was too hard. Um, 
it was also common you know it wasn't often that people could get family pictures um so sometimes if someone would die they'd be like oh, okay we need to get a family picture now because their body and so there are a lot of pictures if you look at old pictures of families you'll notice the exposure took a long time because that's just how old cameras work so the exposure took anywhere from 30 seconds to two minutes sometimes longer depending on the light and if you look at these old photographs you'll notice these people have to stand there posing if you've got a big family of like five or six people you'll notice some of them uh, most of them their eyes are kind of filmy and weird it's because it's almost impossible to keep your eyes perfectly still still for that long yeah you have to blink if there's anyone in those old pictures those old sepia pictures uh those old kind of wet plate uh daguerreotypes if anyone's eyes are looking are frozen chances are that they are a dead extremely person. clear and you can see them extremely clear yeah you see it a lot with children yeah that was yeah. very common very, very common. common to take a picture with your dead relative yeah. so because that's the only picture probably we're ever going to have of them mm -hmm. uh you can google it once you go down that rabbit hole though be it's careful creepy. you can you'll get trapped out I, i'm just saying so just, i did so. just know that when you're looking at those pictures and i i say this because i i, I there are a lot of pictures on, on uh, my mother's and their house on their wall there are tons of old pictures of people that are related to us ancestors and I, I realize looking at them all the time that these people are dead i mean there are actually dead even you know now but they were dead when the picture was taken right. yeah. which is strange to consider because that's just not something we even conceive of now if people do it now it's considered morbid like so, your mother taking well, the pictures of those dead so people. i asked my mom okay but that's and I, and I told my my mother you know i argued with her i was like but that's something they used to do back then because they couldn't afford to get pictures except the ones and they're like, oh well you know now that uncle ted is dead we better get the picture now because um, you know, so it was an excuse. Like a family member dying was an excuse to finally scrounge up the, the money to get a reason, picture. That's not the real reason, Mom. What's no. the real reason? <laughs> the real reason is because apparently the very first funeral she ever went to was that of her grandmother's, and she was fairly close to her grandmother, and so it was it was a sad event for her. And when she walked by her open casket at the viewing um, to pay her last respects, uh, she swears that she saw her grandmother open her eyes and look at her with a look as though to say help me you know, my mother just she's like she said her heart stopped and and she you know looked again and, and you know all was as it should be the eyes were closed but ever since then she's been obsessed with making certain that the person in the casket has their eyes closed and that's still i mean years and years i mean my mother was probably about 12 or so when that happened i imagine um and you know now she's in her late 60s and she's been to a lot of funerals big right. family and she keeps up with everybody so she's taken pictures of all of them just to just to satisfy her own need to make sure their eyes are closed how do you think she would feel knowing you just told uh everyone listening this story she'd probably be mortified <laughs> And she would probably flatly deny that that's why she did it. She'd be right. like, no, I just want to have records of what people were wearing in their caskets. Because, you know, it's it's not unusual to have pictures of, of, of dead relatives, even now. It's just unusual for people to take them themselves. Usually you hire a photographer to do that. But and my mother's very much, no, no, why would we spend money on that? Let's just do it myself. But no, but her real reason, her real reason is to make sure their eyes are closed. Ooh. Which I will say, thank you, Mom. Because I know, you know, all those family members are probably very pleased to know that my mother is around to make sure that no one's being buried alive that's very because we don't have the tie to the toe string anymore they don't <laughs> do that well 
un it would be very unusual to be buried alive now because they do so much to the body that would right. kill you if you weren't right. already dead. If you were already dead, you would surely be dead by then. Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder yeah. what what if that was just a trick of her mind or if her grandmother was just saying hi or you know, know. You, you wonder you wonder but that um you know, that your mother's story and the basement story makes me think of this a story my mom has. If oh, you'd like to hear it. Yeah, I would love to hear it. Have oh, I heard this one before? I don't know if you actually have. Ooh. This is a story I have known almost my whole life. Almost. Ever since I was a little kid, I knew this story. This is like a foundational it's story. It's a foundational for you. story for me. Okay. And my brother. My brother was not allowed to tell this story at slumber parties because it gave his friends nightmares. And so the, t the moms oh. would all tell her. Oh, I can't wait. Okay. <laughs> so my mom was a military brat. My grandfather was in the Air Force and they traveled around a lot. This was a house on the Air Force Base in West Virginia, which I can't remember what it's called, but I know some people listening will be like, oh, it's this base. Then, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> I am not a military brat. <laughs> I'm just a child of one. So they lived on base. My grandfather was an officer, so they were in, it was a nice house. And it was her. She had two brothers, an older brother and a younger brother, uh, six years each. They were 12 years in difference. She was right in the middle. And my brothers, too, were also 12 years in difference. But I'm not right in the middle. <laughs> it's strange, though. Uh, so she stayed at this house uh, with the family. And as a younger child, I was always told not to tell my grandfather because he didn't like to talk about it. So we never told the ghost stories around him, but I heard stories from my mother and from my grandmother. And they had creepy things happen, right? Both my mother and my grandmother, and eventually both of my uncles, have stated that they had a dog, Corky, who was a miniature poodle. He was black. Uh, he would walk, he had, that made them think there was more than one entity in the house because sometimes he would cower or bark at something and be kind of aggressive. But other times he would walk as if he was walking next to something and looking at it. So as if he was just trotting right next to somebody and looking up at them and panting and laughing, you know, like that smiley face yeah, that they get. Yeah. He, that, that would happen quite Happily, a bit. Just Happily following just the pack. Going, going wherever, whatever it was going. And usually when that happened, there was a cold spot moving through the room that he was following. Lots of cold spots, things like that. My mother's story happened uh she was between dates get it mama she had a i think she had a, a a lunch date and she was going to a dinner date she got home and she was two dates in the same in the day, same day. Your mother was bizarre i know play on player get it girl <laughs> so proud of her good for her yeah so they uh <laughs> she was she was going down to the basement because she had to throw some clothes into the dryer and uh, so she went down really quickly and had to go upstairs and finish getting ready. So she started going back up the stairs. And as she took a step, she felt a hand grab her foot and pull it out from underneath her oh. as she was going up the stairs. She fell to her knees and smashed her knees on the <gasps> stairs and crawled up the rest of the way she thought somebody was in the house. God, she yeah. ran out of the basement, which went into the kitchen through the kitchen, around to the front of the house, and, back, and up the stairs to, she was just headed to her bedroom. Uh, the upstairs went up and then turned it, had a landing on it. Mm -hmm. 
And her dog, Corky, ran down the stairs and kind of met her at the landing and was turning around and barking. And she stopped and turned around. She thought, I'm crazy. This is in my head. What am I doing? And she turned around and looked as Corky was barking. And she saw a what looked like a man who was very angry with her. <laughs> he appeared to have the same uh, outfit that a slave in the 1800s, early 1800s, mm -hmm. would have worn. Uh, and he had red eyes. And he was reaching for her. And Corky got between her and this thing and growled and barked at it. And it faded away right in front of her face. You go, Corky. Right? Oh. Yeah. That uh, dog ate steak that night, I hope. I, yeah, I'm not, I have never asked her. I just assumed. <laughs> so, oh my God. that was an experience when she was a teen. My grandmother, this also takes place in the basement, she was doing laundry. And she had always been creeped out by the basement and had this bad feeling. But uh, if you knew my grandmother, uh, you'd know where I get it from. <laughs> We're not going to let anybody tell us what to do. Right. <laughs> so she was down in the basement doing laundry and she had stuff. She was putting it in the wash and had gotten stuff out of the dryer and was in a, uh, was folding it to take upstairs. And she became aware of something in the basement with her. And she knew she was the only one home. Of course, when this happened to my mother, too, she was the only one home. She felt like somebody was with her. And as she was folding something, she felt breath on the back of her neck. And there was nothing there. Being my grandmother, who was 100% badass, she said, I will not let this keep me out of this basement. So she folded the clothes, she cycled the laundry into the dryer, she folded that laundry, and the entire time could feel someone breathing on her neck. Uh -uh. And then she said she took those clothes upstairs and she never went back down in the basement by herself again. <laughs> if nobody else was in the house, she wasn't in the basement. <laughs> but she, she pushed through that. Yeah, can you imagine? Now later we come to find out one of my uncles had had an experience of having nightmares about newspapers. Uh, someone was trying to strangle him with newspapers. And when he woke up, his room was trashed with newspapers. What? Mm-hmm. And there, there have been several stories about this from the house. Now, the craziest thing to me was, because my grandfather, he's a funny guy. He was very funny. I get a lot of my sense of humor from him, but he was also very military. And one time my, my grandmother and my mom and I were all talking about this house and he came in and he was like what are you guys talking about and of course my mom and my grandmother clam up they're not going to say anything because we don't talk to grandpa about that and I I was me so I said we're talking about that house that uh was in West Virginia and probably how it was haunted and he said huh, yeah that house was haunted and he turned around and walked out of the room <laughs> my mom and my grandmother's That's like a five star review right <laughs> oh yeah like he had the Michelin he knew this was guaranteed haunted. Uh, interestingly enough, later, they this was probably 15 years ago now or more, they were traveling through and they had stayed on the base and they drove by the house and took a picture and it had been vacant. And 
and they developed the pictures and when they developed it there was somebody looking out the window no yeah. no fuck that no yes, yes. and then <laughs> i think probably five years ago uh my mom was on the base with one of my uncles and the house is still vacant we have to go we need to, <laughs> we need to find this house <laughs> no we don't I well, just tell me where it is, and I'll go. Okay. I want to go. Gotcha. I want to. I really seriously want to go to this house because that's a. It's on a base. Well, we could probably ask permission. If anybody's on that uh, Air Force base in West Virginia, uh, let us know. <laughs> I mean, someone may I mean, live maybe, in the house. They may live now in it too, now, but, but still. Still, like, what an amazing story! No, you hadn't told me that story. And before. I think they could track the house back to um, someone who definitely owned slaves. Back, you know. In, in the day that some people think, you know, they need to make great again. But, <laughs> Ugh, right. um, but yeah, so Ugh. that, I mean, that was fundamental growing up. Those were things I was scared of happening to me when I was a kid. So I grew up being terrified of basements, basements <laughs> of, you know, what I couldn't see or, and then also what I could see. I was always really, really afraid to actually see something. Yeah. Cause that's a big thing with you. Like mm -hmm. you, you, you can, you can handle noises. Mm -hmm. I hear noises and, all the time. And move, movement and, and things like that, like coming and finding stuff. Moved. Know, moved. Yeah. But seeing something is something you don't want. I mean, and I guess it's understandable why. Because it, it's, it's, I don't know, it's just like a, it's a jolting confirmation that whatever it is. I, know, I have a friend of mine that moved into an apartment and had some weird things happen. And his um, pretty honest coping mechanism was just to say, look, if you're here... Um, I'm cool, but uh, please just, I never want to see you. Right. <laughs> I have had that happen in different places I live, and we know somebody, I'm not going to rat her out, who recently moved in somewhere, and she said that to the house. Right, right. I don't want right. to see you. Uh, apparently it works, because most of the people I know that said, it's fine if you're here, I just don't ever want to see you, have never actually seen anything. I feel bad about that, though. I feel bad about, I mean, I understand, I understand wanting to like ask something like please just don't see me because i'm not prepared for that because i because honestly i wouldn't be but i feel so bad how lonely it must be for the ghost for someone like it's your place and you're just kind of there and like you have no it seemingly you have no choice but to be there at least for the time being and someone that's there you're like well maybe i could make friends and they just go and someone who's afraid justifiably just tells you i, I don't want to see you like that must be so fucking lonely. I, at the same time, though, I don't feel like most ghosts are like, oh, if I could only make friends. Except for that one asshole ghost that tried to be the mom, though. Just wanted a friend. Maybe. But I don't know. If I think if I was a ghost, I'd probably enjoy the solitude too much. I don't think I'd be a very active ghost. Unless it was people I didn't like. I feel like you would be active because of shenanigans. You would you would start shenanigans just to entertain yourself. You can be solitary would, and give people a hard time. That's true. I would haunt a library. Yeah, like Ghostbusters? Yeah. Do you know? <laughs> this is true. True story. I recently watched Ghostbusters with Jack's daughters a few months ago. And when I watched it, 
That is literally the first time I ever saw that ghost in the library because I'd always covered my eyes before. Oh, when she turns and, and uh -huh. makes the... Do you know it took me forever to get to that point? Because when I was a kid, when that film came out, we were about the same age, you and I. Mm -hmm. And when that film came out, like, I knew what was coming because a friend of mine had seen the film the day before I went to go see it. And he was like, be careful, there's a really, really scary moment. Like, the first part where, like, the library ghost. And I was like, oh. And so for years, I always covered my eyes when I knew she was going to turn and mm -hmm. scream at them and change. And so it, I didn't, I don't think I saw that scene until I was in my late twenties right. when I watched it again. Yeah. And I was like, oh wow, that is pretty terrifying. It is. It was. It's a great scary. opening scene though. It is. Uh, but it's such a, oh yeah. And of course that's the Ghostbusters from 1984. Yes. I haven't seen the new one. Oh, it's great. Is it? Yeah, I want to it's see great. It. I love it. Chris Hemsworth is in it. I know. I'm surprised you haven't seen it too. I know, right? It seems I'm very just... strange. <laughs> I've seen a lot of stills of him. <laughs> from it all over yeah they're all over my computer anyway so that has nothing to do with ghost stories well it kind of does it's creepy <laughs> <laughs> i think that's the perfect way to end what are we doing after that yeah okay so yeah that's all for today's episode of <laughs> Ghoul Intentions. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget this Wednesday, we will be live streaming a Q&A about today's episode on the Twitch. You can find us at Ghoul Intentions. Yes. Go Just to... search for us on the Twitch. Yes. Yes. And? And go to ghoulintentions.com. Uh, for links to our social media sites, our blog, which I swear to God I will get up to date, um, <laughs> previous episodes, and where you can submit your own personal supernatural experience Ooh. for consideration to be read on future episodes. Uh, also, just as a note in keeping with today's theme, hug your mom. Just make sure it's your mom. Right. And Jamie, you're going to sign us off with what quote today that I have to figure out? It is... Okay, I have to... He, I had one, but then he saw it. He cheated. I didn't cheat. It, I just saw it. If I cheated, I would not told you that I saw it. Right. So I did, well, decided for everybody he out did there, not cheat. It was, I'm a meat popsicle, which is, of course, from... The Fifth Element. Yes. But I only know that because I saw the quote. He wouldn't have known it. I wouldn't have known it. I wouldn't so have good. known it. I know the Fifth Element, it's but Corbin I wouldn't Dallas. have known it. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't have. They're asking who's the, if he's there, and he's like, negative, I'm a meat popsicle. See, and I remember right. that now that you yeah. mentioned it, but it, um, isolated, I'd have been like, meat popsicle? I don't know, but that sounds really good. I'm hungry. Okay, so the so, one that okay, you now have real, to guess the real quote, I, like, the new, looked up. The new and improved quote that I don't, haven't seen. Okay, are you ready? Yeah. It's only after we've lost everything that we're free to do anything. Fight Club. You got it! I got it! Yay! Yay! Okay, there was another one I was going to use. I what was the other one? We need two quotes for the price of one today since I almost cheated. Well, it's like three at this point. Um, <laughs> what was the other one I was going to use? You are not special. You're not a beautiful and unique snowflake. You're not the same. You're the same decaying matter as everyone else. We're all part of the same compost heap. We're all singing and dancing crap of the world. My third grade teacher. Also Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. That was just the other one from Fight Club. Would you have gotten that one? Oh, my, no. I, yes, I would have gotten that one. I know Fight Club really well. But I also would have said, that also reminds me of my third grade teacher. Worst teacher I ever had. Really? Yeah, yeah. Mine was my sixth grade she teacher. She was terrible. I would say, if my third grade teacher wanted to be a ghost, she'd be one of the scariest goddamn ghosts ever. Oh, I hope she's dead. <laughs> <laughs> That's really dark. 
I feel like we should end this a different way. Um, really? It's called ghoul intentions. Fair. All right. We wish our teachers were dead. Just the ones we didn't like. Just the bad teachers. On that note, uh, thanks for listening. <laughs> thank you. And thanks to our submitters. Um, check us out next time. I don't actually wish our teachers were dead. He does.